0: It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, September 7th, 2009, Labor Day. And yes, I'm in studio today. And the reason why is because, well, I'm going to be out of studio later this week. I, I have a conference I need to attend. I'll give you details when I get back kind of complicated. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough, and I'm your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is a program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to get you to think biblically, To get you to think critically and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the word of God. There's all kinds of crazy things being said out there. And as a result of it, you need to be prepared. You need to know your Bible. You should be reading it anyway. You need to know your Bible and you need to compare what people are saying to what scriptures say. Because, oh man, i got to tell you, it just seems to get crazier by the day. Now today's uh, program cuz it is on labor day it's probably it's a little bit of a different mix today probably still same length <laughs> i can't possibly n- uh, not have a standard length uh, uh fighting for the faith although yeah, i'm i'm hoping that it'll be a little bit shorter but you know in doing the final preparation looking at what's going to make the cut today and what isn't um it it's it has dawned on me that uh that uh, i will <laughs> Uh, it it's not going to be shorter. Although I'm, I'm going to try to make it shorter. So for today's program, what we have lined up, we have the uh, world premiere, uh, 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 the official world premiere of a brand new Marty Python's Flying Circus Church entitled the Emergence Sports Network. We'll get to that shortly. We've got a news piece uh, regarding the uh, author of the um, the Golden Compass children's books. Uh, The guy's name is Philip Pullman. He's going to be uh, uh, basically putting a new book together that claims that Jesus Christ was created by the Apostle Paul. (sighs) Yeah, we'll talk about that just ever so briefly today. Uh, And then... uh, And then I've got a report here from uh, Greater Indianapolis. Uh, There's a news story that made the religion uh, section of the newspaper over the weekend. Uh, People of three faiths joined for meal uh, uh, to end Muslim fast and to start talking. We're going to read this, and then we're also going to compare what we're hearing about these uh, three faiths meeting together. That's Judaism, Muslims, and um, Christians uh, getting together. We're going to compare what we're seeing here, this syncretism that's going on. Uh, among these three f- so called faiths, uh, one of them is a faith, uh, two of them are religions and uh, what we 're going to do is we 're going to compare that to what happened in the days of King Josiah uh, if you 're not familiar with that story, you can find it in second kings chapter twenty two and twenty three A good story of syncretism. And, uh, we'll talk about that today. And then, uh, for today's, we're not doing, well, it's going to be a slightly different, uh, mix up today for, uh, for a sermon review. Today's going to be something more of a sermon cage fight, if you would. Uh, maybe you can refer to it as a sermon smackdown. I, that, that, that may be a little bit over the top. I mean, we are talking about sermons here, but I'm going to pit two sermons against each other. One is, uh, by, uh, the emergent guy, Adam Walker, Cleveland, and his, uh, he did a recent sermon on Matthew chapter twenty, uh, verse, uh, chapter fifteen, verses twenty-one through twenty-eight, entitled "Rethink Church," and we're going to pit that against uh, a sermon uh, preached by the Reverend Jeremy Rhodey of Faith Lutheran Church in uh, Capistrano Beach, uh, California, on the same text, entitled "The God of Dogs." And so this is going to be an interesting uh, comparison. So we're we're going to pit these two against each other, and then you know solicit your opinions as to uh, uh, which you think was the better sermon. Uh, of course, I will be chiming in, uh, being the referee between the match, and pointing out whether or not uh, the things uh, stated about this passage, Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28 are uh, correctly exegeted, whether or not we're getting correct distinction of law and gospel, whether we're getting uh, correct Jesus Christ even, uh, since we're dealing with an emergent here, Adam Walker, Cleveland, Uh, and um, and we'll go from there. So with that in mind, make yourself comfortable if you have the ability to do so. If not, uh, if you're exercising, uh, believe me, I understand that. I've been more committed to the exercise thing lately and have uh, been starting to drop some pounds, so I'm pretty excited about that. All right, so with that, we're going to dive in proper to the program. And uh, first up today is our um, is the official world premiere of our new Marty Python's Flying Circus Church sketch. It's entitled the Emergence Sports Network, and um, I don't want to explain it too much. The reason why is basically think of it this way: this uh, new Marty Python. Uh, basically takes ideas of emergence and applies them into other world scenarios to see if they hold up uh, to that kind of scrutiny. Uh, With that in mind, here's our brand new Marty Python's Flying Circus Church sketch entitled Emergence Sports Network.
1: It's...
2: Marty Python's Flying Circus Church.
0: You're listening to the Emergence Sports Network here on Pirate Christian Radio.
2: You've tuned in just in time to catch today's Emergence Ball Match between the Pomo Bombers and the Majestic Mystics.
0: Today's match is proudly brought to you by Rex Quandos Bible Pants. There's the buzzer, and they're off.
2: McLaren dribbles a pigskin down to first base, takes out his putter and
0: Whoa, Whoa! Jones checks McLaren against the boards and then passes to Paget in left field.
2: But wait, Bulls Weber is
0: charging from the
3: ten-yard line and
0: she slam thugs from the foul line! That's a baddie! The crowd is going wild! When was the last time you saw something like that? I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. Okay, play is resuming. There's Rollins. He serves to Bell. Bell snatches the snitch, and then Hail Mary passes to McLaren. McLaren is in the end zone. Oh, and he slaps it back to third base. Tickle grabs her wicket and then punts one out into center court.
2: It looks like Jones and Paget are double-teeing Bowles Weber. He doesn't have a shot, so she slices one off into the rough.
0: McLaren is there to make the safety, but Paget grabs McLaren's face mask and then throws down to second base. What a brilliant save that was. Jones takes out his driver, then sends one out to midfield. Tickle headbutts the ball and then sends it back to McLaren. He vaults over the pummel horse. Oh, and he sticks the landing.
2: Unfortunately, the degree of difficulty wasn't that high, but McLaren backed up seven brownie points.
0: Tickle sets up for the kickoff. But wait, Jones is trying to steal third base. Tickle slap shots the ball back to Bulls Weber,
2: but Jones is safe. He's safe. That means it's going to be third down with 44 meters to the pin.
0: Looks like this match is going to go into sudden death. So there you have it. There's our brand new Marty Python's Flying Circus Church entitled the Emergence Sports Network. And if you are scratching your head trying to figure out what all that meant, um, again, without giving away too much, just think of it this way. We've taken emergent concepts uh, in how they're treating Christian theology and uh, different religions, and we've just applied them into a different area of the world to see if they uh, hold up to that kind of scrutiny. Remember this is satire it 's not humor. There is a difference between the two, although some of you might find this to be very humorous and funny uh, All right <laughs> I know i 'm going to get emails on that i and i I, I understand that 's okay that's that 's perfectly fine. All right, time for some news here from the Australian. The headline reads, "Christ was created by Paul the Apostle." <laughs> oh man." Talk about a historical plebeian. I mean, this is, this it almost doesn't even warrant uh, a historical rebuttal because it's so patently dumb. <sighs> so, from the Austrian, this is written by Richard Brooks. The uh, story reads After angering the Vatican with his fantasy trilogy, His Dark Materials, you also, we know that here in. The U.S. is the Golden Compass children's uh, book series. They they made one of them into a movie. I think they're going to make more of them. Children's author Philip Pullman is to launch an assault on Christianity in a polemic that denies Jesus was the Son of God. He claims Christ emerged from the fervid imagination of St. Paul the Apostle and spawned a religion that's inspired some uh, some to fanatical bigotry. Uh, By the way, Pullman's an atheist, and talk about fanatical bigotry. um, How many millions of people have lost their lives as a result of atheistic communism? Just asking the question. Although full details of the plot are under wraps, the book's titled The Good Man Jesus and the Scoundrel Christ gives a strong indication of Pullman's views. Too bad they're not grounded in sound his- history. Uh, quote, For every man or woman who's been led to goodness by a church, and I know there have been many, there has been another who's been inspired by the same church to a rancid and fanatical bigotry for which the only fitting word is evil, Pullman said. The more power the church has, the worse it behaves, without exception. The book is to be published next year in a contemporary re- and is a contemporary retelling of the story of Jesus, Uh, Drawing on the Bible for characters, locations, and events, Pullman accepts the existence of a holy man called Jesus, but argues Christ, or the Son of God, was an invention of St. Paul. You know, funny enough, just hard to have that be the case, considering the fact that all four of our Gospels... Uh, not one of them was written by the apostle Paul um you've got Matthew who was who was an eyewitness to Jesus's life and ministry he was also known as Levi the tax collector and uh servant of Caesar if you would and uh just that little uh, jab there for the uh for the stick it to the Caesar man folks um so you got Matthew the uh, tax collector you got Mark um whose whose gospel more than likely many have argued, are the the preaching sermon notes of the Apostle Peter. Um, Peter and Mark kind of go together. Then you got Luke, who uh, created his gospel by interviewing the eyewitnesses to the events. And then you have the Gospel of John, another eyewitness testimony. Uh, The Apostle Paul, uh, well, uh, he didn't write a single gospel. Um, So it's really difficult to... uh, have Paul be the inventor of Jesus Christ. And, and then if you just examine the historical records, uh, what we learn is, is that the apostle Paul confesses that he became a Christian after being a persecutor of Christians and, and basically a murderous uh, persecutor of Christians. He was uh, there approving of the stoning of Stephen. Um, he, he becomes a Christian only after he has a direct encounter with the resurrected Christ. And he learns his doctrine directly from Jesus, but then goes to Jerusalem and lays out his gospel uh, and his doctrine before those who had uh, spent, you know, basically been trained under Jesus, the the, the re 11 remaining apostles. And what do they do? They put their stamp of approval on the gospel that Paul is preaching. So f- far from being the inventor of Christ, uh, what we find is the apostle Paul had to, uh, uh, yeah, basically he subjected his gospel to the scrutiny of, uh, of those who had been with Jesus. And, uh, again, how many gospels did Paul write? Oh, I know none. <clears throat> so anyway, we continue. So the book to be published next year is a contemporary retelling of the story of Jesus. <laughs> Ridiculous. How many contemporary retellings of there are, do we have of uh, the presidency of uh, Abraham Lincoln? Which Abraham Lincoln do you believe in, by the way? Do you believe in the Abraham Lincoln who was, you know, uh, a, a congressman from Illinois who uh, had a hard time getting elected, who barely was elected president of the United States, and then, you know, shortly after his election. Uh, you know, the s- Southern states seceded from the union and then, you know, he was the president during the civil war. I mean, is that the, is that the, uh, is that the, the Abraham Lincoln you believe in or would you like the Abraham Lincoln uh, kind of retold in a contemporary setting? The Abraham Lincoln, who was actually, uh, the, uh, the pre-incarnate Elvis Presley and, uh, that, that Abraham Lincoln who, uh, who was receiving messages from, uh, from the rings of Saturn you know that would be a great contemporary retelling of the uh, of the Abraham Lincoln narrative of course everybody knows that Abraham Lincoln was is really just an invention of um, of John F Kennedy so anyway we continue by the time the gospels were written down paul had already begun to transform the story of jesus into something altogether different and extraordinary he said hogwash Paul was a literary and imaginative genius who had more influence on the world than anybody else including Jesus he had this great ability to persuade others and his rhetorical skills have been convincing people for 2,000 years David McGow, Catholic Auxiliary Bishop of Birmingham said there's no evidence Paul influenced the Gospels and uh, David McGow would be absolutely correct so Pullman here I'm I'm afraid ultimately what's going to end up happening to uh, his shot at Christianity is that it it like all other shots are going to end up on the ash heap of human history. That's just ridiculous. Anyway, all right. All right, another headline here. This one's uh from the Indianapolis Star, a local paper to uh to me here. Uh, th- people of three faiths join for meal to end Muslim fast and start talking. This is by Robert King of the Indianapolis Star. The story reads, "Uh, The people from the synagogue made a place for their Muslim guests to break their daily Ramadan fast in an airy chapel, one adorned with a banner featuring the most Jewish of symbols, the Torah scroll, and a menorah and a burning bush. The Jewish hosts, with an assist from two of the city's most recognizable Christian churches, scrambled hospitably to spread out prayer rugs for the 60 or so Muslims. When kneeling, they would face northeast as requested and in the direction of a stained glass window uh, symbolic of the Ten Commandments. So as the Muslim faithful looked to Mecca, they could see just to their right the chapel's ark, which holds the Torah scrolls, and just above it, an eternal flame representative of the pillar of fire that led the Hebrew people across the Egyptian desert. Here the imam sang out the Muslim call to prayer, and the robed women, uh, most with ha- hajibs covering their heads, uh, prostrated themselves in prayer a- as if praying to a Jewish, in a Jewish house of worship were the most natural thing in the world. Yet in Indianapolis, the scene that played out here Sunday night at Indianapolis Hebrew Congregation was far from ordinary. We know of nowhere else in the country where this has happened, said Rabbi John Adland of the IHC in the city's oldest Jewish congregation. For people representing three faiths with centuries of ugly history, siblings supposedly on the brink of clash of civilizations, it was a warm and cordial affair. I think there's a warming up between the two faiths, said Yasin al-Khattab, a 35-year-old information technology consultant who attended the event. In this case, he spoke of the historic tension between Jews and Muslims. I think there's more seeing each other as as human beings More than political opposites, it's the very it's very appealing and warm to the heart to see this seated around Al-Qahtahab, a black Muslim and the son of a local imam was a white Jewish cantor and her husband, an older white Christian couple, a matronly black Muslim woman, a Turkish Muslim couple who immigrated to the United States and they didn't have trouble finding things to talk about where there wasn't much discussion about politics, which is radioactive even within the homogeneous group these days. But the group was so cordial that it probably could have made some progress in the Middle East peace process. Aside from IHC, the hosts of the event were Second Presbyterian Church and St. Luke's United Methodist Church. All three congregations made it a point to engage in interfaith work. Uh, The lead clergy from each has taken a trip to Turkey with the Holy Dove Foundation, an active local Muslim group that organized the Muslim community's participation in Sunday's Iftar, or breaking of the fast. Leaders from each congregation say the real challenge now for Holy Dove and its engaging leader uh, Bilal uh, Eksili is uh, to branch out from these relationships to folks in the local religious establishment more reluctant to engage in interfaith work, Catholic leaders, and pastors from conservative evangelical megachurches. Exili uh, acknowledges that such steps are important even if not easy but he has made progress and new, and uh, new friends in recent years with a secret weapon invitations to dinner this is a must right now you need to reach out he said by supporting dialogue and education you can remove the misunderstandings bring people together and support global peace now, doesn't that just sound wonderful? I mean, these guys got together for global peace. And what happened? You had Christians, Jews, and Muslims all together there to support the uh, Muslims while they were ending their fast for Ramadan. It just sounds so loving, doesn't it? Well, the problem is, is that this is all syncretism. Okay, the Christian, The biblical Christian view of what it is that we're seeing here is that we can't support Muslims in their breaking of the fast because they're praying to a false God. They are committing the sin of idolatry. They have another God other than the one uh, that has revealed himself in Scripture. And Judaism has rejected the Messiah. They've rejected Jesus Christ as a result our job to Muslims as well as to Jews is to proclaim Jesus Christ as the as God in human flesh, come to earth to uh, live a perfect life and die on the cross as our substitute on the cross for our sins and to call them to repentance and faith in the one true God and in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. We're not supposed to be working together with Jews and Muslims for, quote, world peace by being syncretistic. That's just not called for. And in fact, it's really a dangerous sign of the times. And uh, who is it that's leading the charge on this? Emergents and uh, and liberals. And uh, is that what we're supposed to be doing? Well, hardly. And uh, let me read to you a little bit of some Old Testament narrative, if you would. It makes me sound so uh, cutting edge when I talk that way, doesn't it? I'm going to read some Old Testament narrative to you we read now this is by the way this is just this is pr- just prior to the uh, end of uh, well well before judah is taken into captivity by babylon and and why is it they were taken into captivity by babylon well god was punishing them for their idolatry you want to see how bad things got well things got so bad in israel syncretistically regarding uh, them worshipping other gods that it got so bad, they even they they had a famine of God's word. They they weren't even reading the Torah anymore, and it got lost in the temple. And they accidentally stumbled upon it during a, re, uh, a refurbishing project. And during that refurbishing project, we find out that in Solomon's temple there were little grottos set up to other deities. Kid you not? Let's read Second uh, Kings chapter twenty two, starting at verse one. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of David, his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, son of Meshulam, the secretary to the house of the Lord, that would be the Temple of Solomon, saying, "Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people, and let it be given into the hand of workmen who have who have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord repairing the house, that is." to the carpenters and to the builders and to the masons, and let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone to repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked from them for the money that is delivered into their hand, for they deal honestly. Then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphon, and he read it. And Shaphon the secretary came to the king and reported to the king, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah, the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah, the priest, and Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, and uh, "...achor, the son of Micaiah, and Shaphon the secretary at Asiah, the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, and for the people, and for all of Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book, to do according to all that is written concerning us." So Hilkiah the priest, and Ahikam, and Achor, and Shaphan, and Asiah went to Huldah, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of T- uh, Tikva, son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter. And they talked with her, and she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants, all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place and it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent. You humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse. And you have torn your clothes, and you have wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back the word to the king. Then the king sent All the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, they were gathered to him. And the king went into the house of the Lord with him and all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the prophets, all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all of his heart and his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people joined in the covenant. And the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the threshold to bring out of the temple of the Lord Lord all the vessels made for Baal and Asherah and for all the host of heaven, and he burned them outside of Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. He deposed the priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to make offerings in the high places at the cities of Judah and around Jerusalem, those also who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and to the moon and to the constellations and all the host of the heavens, and he brought Out The Asherah from the house of the Lord outside of Jerusalem to the brook of Kidron. And he burned it at the brook of Kidron and beat it into dust and cast the dust of it upon the graves of the common people. And he broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes who were in the house of the Lord where the women wove hangings for the Asherah. Getting an idea of what's going on syncretistically in the temple of the Lord Solomon's Temple, they had set up Asherah poles, uh, vessels to Baal, there were male cult prostitutes there in the Temple of the Lord. And he brought all the priests out of the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had made offerings from Geba to Beersheba. And he broke down the high places of the gates that were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were on one's left at the gate of the city. However, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their uh, brothers. uh, uh, brothers, And he defiled Topheth, which is the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no one might burn his son or his daughter as an offering to Molech. He removed the horses that the king of Judah had dedicated to the son at the entrance to the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan-Melech. The chamberlain which was in the precincts, and he burned the chariots of the sun with fire, and the altars on the roof of the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars that Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord. He pulled down and broke it in pieces, and cast the dust of them into the brook of Kidron. And the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem to the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon the king of Israel had. "...built for Ashtoreth the the abominations of the Sidonians, and for Chemosh the abominations of Moab, and for Milcom the abominations of the Ammonites, and he broke in pieces the pillars and cut down the Asherim and filled their places with the bones of men." Moreover, the altar at Bethel, the high places erected by Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, that altar with its high place, he pulled down and burned, reducing it to dust. He also burned the Asherah, and as Josiah turned, he saw the tombs there on the mount, and he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burnt them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord, that the man of God proclaimed, who had predicted these things. Then he said, What is this monument that I see? And the men of the city told him, It's the tomb of the man of God whom, who came from Judah and predicted these things that you have done against the altar at Bethel. And he said, Let him be. Let no man move his bones, so they let his bones alone, and the bones of the prophet who came out of Samaria, and Josiah removed all the shrines also of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which kings of Israel had made, provoking the Lord to anger. He did to them according to all that had uh, that he had done at Bethel, and he sacrificed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned human bones on them, and then he returned. To Jerusalem the king commanded all the people keep the Passover to the Lord your God as is written in the book of the covenant for no such Passover has been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel or during all the days of the kings of Israel or the kings of Judah but in the 18th year of King Josiah this Passover was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem Moreover, Josiah put away the mediums and the necromancers and the household gods and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah in Jerusalem, that he might establish the words of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his might, according to all of the law of Moses." nor did any like him arise after him. Do you think the Lord looked favorably upon Josiah, who turned to the Lord in penitent faith and trust, and the fruit of that faith was literally him taking action and ridding Israel of all of their worthless Idols, The false gods and the syncretistic practices that had crept into the temple of the Lord. Josiah is held up in scripture as one who followed the Lord with all of his heart. And that meant turning out and waging war against the false gods of Israel. What's happening with these emergents like McLaren and these liberals like Second Presbyterian here in Indianapolis is that they are committing the same sins, the same syncretistic sins that Israel committed against the Lord by mixing their religion with these false religions. This is not what the Lord wants. It is not what Christians are called to do. And they need to turn in penitent faith back to the Lord and to the one true God, Jesus Christ in human flesh, who died on the cross for our sins and calls all men everywhere to repent penitently and trust in him alone for their salvation and their forgiveness. This mixing of Christianity with Judaism and Islam is an abomination. It is not what God would have us do, and it is an absolute abomination before him, and we need to turn to him in penitence and faith. All right, we're up on our first break. When we come back, <laughs> it looks like we might actually get to that shorter edition of Fighting for the Faith today. I don't know if I was able to pull it off. We're going to be doing our sermon uh, cage fight or sermon smackdown uh, between Adam Walker Cleveland, who is an emergent, and Pastor Jeremy Rohde of Faith Lutheran Church in uh, Capistrano Beach, California. They'll both be preaching sermons on the same text, uh, Matthew 15, verses 21 through 28. And uh, about the Syropho- uh, Syrophoenician woman uh, that Jesus called a dog. So we're, we're going to be dealing with that when we come back from our first break here at Fighting for the Faith. So you definitely don't want to miss that. Now, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. back at fightingforthefaith.com or look me up on Facebook or follow me on Twitter. My name there is Pirate Christian. We'll be right back.
2: Circus church. Hello. I wish to register a complaint. Uh we're closing for lunch. Never mind that, my lad. I wish to complain about the sermon that I purchased a day ago from this very boutique. Uh yes. Uh what what's wrong with it? Tell you what's wrong with it, my lad. It's a dead sermon, that's what's wrong with it. No, not possible. You just preached it wrong. Look, matey, I know a dead sermon when I preach one, and I know that the sermon I preached yesterday was certainly dead. Jesus Christ wasn't mentioned once. Not even in the footnotes. So. No,
0: no, you just weren't
2: charismatic enough. Remarkable sermon. Beautiful imagery. The imagery, don't enter into it. It's stone dead. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're just not open-minded enough. All right, then. If it's not dead, then I should be able to preach the gospel. I read a portion of it. Ahem. And then the camp counselor told all of the woodland creatures to become more righteous so that they, too, could get to the place called heaven. You, s- you see what I mean? This is ridiculous. There. Yeah. I found the gospel in the sermon. No, you didn't. That was you just writing the word gospel on the cover of the room-temperature sermon. Well, I never... Yes, you did. I I never, never did anything. This entire sermon fails to preach anything that's worth anything to anyone. Now, that's what I call a dead sermon. No, no, no. You haven't looked deep enough into yourself. You must be joking. Well, you're just being divisive, and you refuse to accept the message that's being presented. Um, Now, look. Now, look, mate. I've definitely had enough of this. That sermon is definitely rotten. And when I purchased it not but a day ago, you assured me that it was Christ-centered, cross-focused, and filled to bursting with the gospel. Well, if you would just read the title. Read the title? What kind of title is this anyway? Super Spiritual Happy Fun Friends Adventure Camp Pack. (laughs) Mate, listen. People wouldn't be chasing me to hear this rubbish if I was firing midgets out of cannons. It's bleeding demise. You didn't buy the midget cannon expansion pack? The sermon has passed on. The sermon is no more. It has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to me in its maker. It's a stiff, bereft of life. It burns in hell. If you hadn't put it in the wrong package sleeve, I would be using it for firestarter. The thought processes that brought it about are now history. It's off the twig. It's kicked the bucket. The bleeding choir invisible wouldn't listen to this sham. This is an ex-sermon. Well, well, I'd better replace it then. Let's see. uh, Christ-centered gospel Jesus. uh, uh, Well, sorry, squire. I've had a look around in the back of the shop and, uh, well, we're right out of whatever it is that you're looking for. I see. I see, I get the picture. I I got a sermon here from Rick Warren. Does it contain Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice? Well, no, not really. Well, that's hardly a replacement, is
0: it? Look, if, if if you're really dead set on the whole Jesus thing, I suggest that you look up Pirate Christian Radio. All they do is talk about Jesus 24/7. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Pirate
2: Christian Radio. Very well, I'll give them a try.
4: Orthodox Christianity clearly teaches God's law which condemns our sinful nature and clearly proclaims the gospel of Christ's death and resurrection on our behalf to pay for our sinfulness. These truths of Holy Scripture are timeless and objective. However, a creeping fog known as the Emergent Church threatens to unravel these clear teachings by redefining the vocabulary and core beliefs of the Christian faith in terms of subjective personal feelings and experiences. That is why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to offer The Emergent Church, Undefining Christianity, a book by Bob DeWay that is widely regarded as the best book available on the emergent heresy. The book is $12.95 plus $4 shipping and handling, and all proceeds directly support the Christ-centered ministry of Pirate Christian Radio. Log on today to piratechristianradio.com and order your copy of The Emergent Church, Undefining Christianity.
0: you are listening to fighting for the faith warning listening to this program could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church i don't say that glibly that is an absolutely true warning for you all all right i need to remind you fighting for the faith is listener supported radio that means your financial support is vital for us to continue bringing fighting for the faith to you You can partner with us and help us continue to make this uh, important broadcast not only available to you but to other people, showing your generosity. And uh, you can do that by uh, a couple of means. You can visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com, and click on one of our friendly yellow donate buttons. Super simple there. You can donate instantly online, securely it's all done uh, rather nicely there. Or you can do it the traditional way. You can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right. We're going to switch gears here, and this is going to be a, a segment. It's it's similar to our sermon review, but it's different. And uh, what I mean by that is, is that we're, this is going to be our Sermon Cage Fighter Sermon Smackdown. Now, uh, this is going to be between the emergent uh, preacher, pastor, thinker, uh, Adam Walker, Cleveland. Basically, he's a, a liberal from the United Methodist Church. And uh, and he's going to go toe-to-toe with Pastor Jeremy Rody of Faith Lutheran Church in Capistrano Beach, California. Now, they're not exactly preaching on the exact same text, but they are teaching on the same, uh, the same story. Just one from Matthew, the other from Mark. Um, the story is of uh, Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman. And let me read, go ahead and read to you both passages so that you can kind of see what we're talking about here. Uh, this, so they're preaching on the same subject matter from two different Synoptic Gospels. Mark chapter 7, 24-30, this is going to be what uh, Adam Walker Cleveland is preaching on, says, "...and from there Jesus arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet." Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, "Let the little children, uh, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs." Uh, but he answered, "Yes." But she answered, "Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs." And he said to her, "For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter." And she went and found the, the child lying in bed. And the demon gone. Now the Math uh, the Matthew uh, version of this story again is very very similar, uh, although slightly different. Um, Pastor Rody will be preaching on this text. It's Matthew chapter fifteen, verses twenty one through twenty eight. Twenty eight, we read, and Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came and was crying, "Have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David! My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon." Uh, be it done for you as you desire, and her daughter was healed instantly. Again, uh, both uh, stories, uh, same subject matter. We're going to be hearing two different sermons on this. And uh, the first is from emergent thinker Adam Walker-Cleveland, who is also a contributor to the uh, emergent book, The Emergent Manifesto of Hope. And then uh, going toe-to-toe with him today in our sermon cage fight, uh, sermon Smackdown, if you would, is uh, Pastor Jeremy Rody of Faith Lutheran Church in Capistrano Beach, California. His sermon is entitled, The God of Dogs. Adam Walker, Cleveland's sermon is entitled, Rethink Church. And with that, it's time for our Sermon Smackdown. Uh,
1: let's get ready to rumble!
0: All right, so without any further ado, here is our first contestant in our Sermon Smackdown, Adam Walker, Cleveland.
3: So, uh, when I was in 8th grade, I think, I went to a church camp. It was called Mad camp. It was M-A-D-D.
0: Now, let me pause right there. Keep in mind, the things you're going to be listening for, proper use of Scripture, proper use of law and gospel, and in this particular case, you might want to listen for Good Christology. See if it's there.
3: It wasn't Mothers Against Drunk Drivery, Um but it, it stood for uh, Music, Arts, Dance, and Drama. And I was, I was all about the music and the arts and the drama. <laughs> the, the dance, not so much. But I still remember, it. while we were singing Change My Heart, Oh God, um, I had this vivid uh, picture of there was probably like 30 junior high kids um, and uh, we were we were all sort of out in this nice grassy area overlooking this beautiful mountain, and this and this woman who came and uh, I'm sure she was a really really wonderful wonderful person, um, but her goal was to teach these junior hires liturgical dance to this to the song Change My Heart, O God, and so the part where, the chorus when it says you, know, you are the Potter and I am the clay, as we were just singing that I had these, this memory of like these motions that she had us doing, and I almost got up and. It's kind of like a thing. Whenever I hear that song, I'm compelled to just start doing these uh, liturgical dance moves. Um, but, I, but I didn't do that. Uh, maybe, maybe next time. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What if we rethink church? That's the question that United Methodists all around the world are asking themselves these days. We saw a promo video last week. Uh, Some of you maybe picked up a button, like these fancy buttons here, uh, to put on on your book bag or maybe your school bag, computer bag. I think it's a really great question. And it's a question that we've been needing to ask ourselves for quite a while now. Um... While I'm sure that this would drive copyright lawyers crazy, I think every denomination should start up a Rethink Church campaign. I don't know how the New how York the Methodist Church would feel about everybody stealing their... Uh,
0: Adam, just got to ask a quick question here. Why do we need to rethink church exactly? Um, are we the ones in charge of church, or is Christ the one in charge of it? You know, I ask the question only because Jesus himself made it perfectly clear what the church is supposed to do. Uh, uh, Luke chapter 24 uh, 46 to 48, uh, we are to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to all nations. Matthew uh, 28 basically makes clear we we'll go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, in, in Acts chapter two, we read that the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayers. Why do we need to rethink church when Scripture is so clear as to what it is the church is to be doing? And um, you know, I'm asking the question. Uh, to rethink church basically means that we ne- are, the church would be out of alignment with God's word. Is that what you're referring to? Or do we need to get out of alignment with God's word and be doing something different? In that case, we're not interested in rethinking church. The church can't be rethunk. Uh, Jesus is the one who's the thinker. We're the ones who are the followers, the ones who, yeah. Anyway, just, you know, what's the pressing need here? Why do we need to rethink church? Well Let's
3: continue. But I think all the denominations around need to be asking this question. And I think a lot of them are in in different ways. You merely have to go through and read statistics of churches these days to know that mainline churches are not doing all that well.
0: Um, well, there's a reason for that. The reason why mainline churches aren't doing that well is because they're not proclaiming the word of God. They don't really believe it's authoritative and true, and as a result of it, they have the 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 message they preach has no ability to regenerate sinners and to bring them to repentance and faith in the in the one true God and in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. I mean sorry, but I have no desire to attend a church where all I'm getting are pithy moral uh, exhortations without the forgiveness of sins and the authority of God. I might as well sit at home and read Aesop's fables. At least, you know, those are stories that have a moral. And when you reduce the Bible to that, which is what the mainline churches have done, is it any wonder that they're dwindling? I mean, they're often into bizarro land.
3: Kim mentioned last week, the mainline churches are, are we're struggling. Uh, for the most part, young adults just aren't really coming to church. And I think one of the most recent statistics I heard was about 80% of high school graduates stopped going to church. Those who were, who were active in church. Now, I mean, we could say, well, they're just not interested anymore. Or we'll wait till they kind of grow up a little bit and, and get more mature. And then, then they'll come back to us. And they'll figure out that what we're doing is... Is important and, and something they should be taking. why
0: is it important what you're doing you're not preaching correct Christian dogma you guys are off in liberal la la land even kids are smart enough to know that it's no fun sitting under moralizing sermons without any authority and forgiveness of sins
3: but perhaps maybe we need to ask ourselves the question are we doing something wrong Are there some things that we might need to rethink a little bit?
0: Yeah, like rethinking the authority of God's word. You really need to rethink that. If that's what you're talking about And Rethink Church, I completely agree. It's time for you guys to abandon all your liberal apostate ideas, repent, and get back to God's word being authoritative, divinely inspired and inerrant, and proclaim boldly repentance and the forgiveness of sins, and get back to preaching and proclaiming, true sound christian doctrine do you do that hey the future looks bright for you because god's the one who regenerates people when you do that by the way just you know just saying
3: so i'm very glad that we are entering into this process of, of asking the questions about rethinking church i'm glad we're having this this conversation and i think that's one of the important things to remember is that it's a conversation
0: uh, uh, that's emergent speak. By the way, um, again, you're you're uh, you're preaching on Mark seven twenty four through thirty, the story of the Sy- uh, Syrophoenician woman. Right? What does that have to do with rethinking church? Um, I just read that passage as well as its corollary in Matthew. I didn't see anything there about the need to rethink
3: church at all. I hope you don't expect to come and hear uh, Pastor Chuck, Pastor Kim, or I to stand up here and let you know how Asbury is going to rethink church. Uh, that's just not quite how, how it works. Uh, we have ideas, sure, but so do you. Uh,
0: by the way, this was preached at Asbury United Methodist Church in Livermore, California, which is a fine part of the country, by the way. Livermore is out there. Uh, it, 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 it's considered to be wine country. The, uh, anyway,
1: <sighs> we continue
3: uh, sharing those ideas and hearing the ways in which we can all rethink church together. Um, as, as I mentioned earlier, at Theology Pub, in two weeks, we'll be carrying on the conversation about rethinking church. And we're going to rethink church a little bit uh, this morning by doing something that involves technology. Now, I'm sure some of you are like, okay, great, Adam's up there. Of course, he's going to do something with technology. But, but so here's, here's the deal. We're going we're to try this out. Uh, in a few minutes, I'm going to do that awkward thing that everybody probably doesn't like when the pastor says, why don't you turn to your neighbor and discuss this for a few minutes? So we'll go ahead and just admit that that can be a little bit awkward, and we, sometimes we come to church and we just kind of want to sit and we don't want to have to talk to people around us, but we're going to do that just for a few minutes this morning. Um, and, uh, and what's going to happen is I'm going to ask you all a question to discuss, and you can, and please discuss it with, with those who are sitting next to you, uh, but the other option that you have is to um, take out your cell phones and to send me a text message. With with your response to the question. So
0: Uh, now I got to warn you ahead of time. He, in this sermon, which is on the internet in both audio and uh, written form, does give out his cell phone number and is encouraging uh, people to uh, send him text messages about rethinking church. Now, as a listener to Fighting for the Faith, I was, you know, as the host of Fighting for the Faith, I was tempted to bleep out his phone number. But since he's making it available for all the world on the internet, um, hey, if you guys want to send a text message to uh, um, to uh, Adam Walker Cleveland uh, uh, regarding uh, some good biblical ideas for how the United Methodist Church needs to rethink church-like repenting and getting back to the authoritative word of God, I say go for it. So uh, I'm not going to bleep out his phone number.
3: So uh, please, if you have your cell phones with you, I know some people don't bring them to church, but if you have them with you, uh, please get them out right now. Um, and, and turn them on. Please leave them on. We don't want to hear all of your fancy ringtones, uh, so you can, we can leave them on silent. Uh, but please get your phones out. And if you want to write down my number, uh, so I'm guessing probably not everybody carries around my cell phone number. Uh, but if you want to write down my number or put it in your phone right now, um, it's 609-933-4000. I'll say that one more time. I'm sure all of you, are, I can see all of you getting at your phones. You're really excited about trying this. Um, it's, uh, it's 609-933-4000. And I'll, I'll tell you that one more time um, when I ask you the question. Now, I've, I've been, I haven't done this before. This is kind of an experiment. Uh, we're going we're gonna to try this out. Um, also, if during the sermon, if you uh, have a question that pops up, uh, something I said, if you want to text that in, uh, please go ahead and, and do that as well. Um, I can't, I can't promise to, uh, to be able to respond to all of those, but if there's something that comes in that's interesting, um, we'll see what we can do. So that's we're just going to try and re- rethink church a little bit this morning by, um, by using some technology. Okay, I see that somebody just tried to call me. That's good. Um, I probably, won't, I probably won't, answer the, won't answer the phone, but I, I will read your text message if you, if you text that in. Okay, so to be honest... I wasn't going to preach on this text this week. Um, when I flipped the lectionary for this week and I saw that it was the story of the Syrophoenician women, I immediately started looking for other texts. Um, I wanted a text that would refit, uh, that would fit well with this idea of, of rethinking church. Okay,
0: i got to stop here. Notice something. He wanted a text that would fit well with the concept of rethinking church. So he's the one making the agenda, not God's word. So now the question that uh, begs to be answered is, uh, how does this text about the story of the Syrophoenician woman uh, support the concept of rethinking church? It's not about
3: the church.
0: We continue.
3: And it wasn't until I was uh, gently prodded by my wife and some some friends online who, who read my blog that, you know what, you should really look at this text. And use it for this rethink, Rethinking Church sermon, because uh, you might be surprised. Uh, and you know, there's always something about this story. I've never preached on this story before. There's something about the, the, the whole thing about Jesus calling her a dog, and breadcrumbs, and just a lot of interesting things that I just didn't really want to have to mess with. Uh, but we're going to.
0: Okay, so you don't want to have to mess with the thorny subjects of Scripture and, and what the text says in the lectionary. Instead, you want you to you, you preach on what you want to preach about. You don't want to have to wrestle with that whole dog thing. All right, we got
3: it. Yeah. We're going to go ahead and try it this morning. Because when I read it again, it actually seemed like it worked. Like it was actually a really perfect, although slightly troubling, story about rethinking church.
0: It's not about rethinking church, it really isn't at all.
3: <sighs> what I, I love about the story is that here in this story we really see the humanity and the divinity of Jesus all in one right here, right there. And, in short, we kind of see this grumpy, irritable Jesus healing a pagan woman's daughter. Mark tells us that Jesus entered this house because he didn't want anybody to know he was there. I mean, he just had a pretty intense few chapters. If you, if you turn back a few pages, uh, he was rejected in his hometown. John the Baptist was murdered. Uh, he fed 5,000 people. He walked on water. He healed people everywhere that he went. There was always somebody coming up to him. Uh, he, had, he had to get into an argument with the Pharisees about the disciples' hand-washing techniques. And, and with, with all of that going on, let's be frank here, he has these 12 disciples following him around who really don't get half the things that he says and he's always having to pull them aside and be like, "All right, did you get it this time? Do I have to do I have to dumb it down a little bit for you guys?" Um, so it's pretty clear why Jesus might have been needing a little bit of Jesus time here. A little a little
0: Okay, that's kind of a funny way to put it. Jesus needing some Jesus time. That that's a 20 20th century 21st century concept that's called me time okay um even jesus needs a day off heard of the sabbath yeah anyway
3: a little alone time just a little time away from the crowds a little bit of self-care and then in walks this pagan woman this syrophoenician woman and you can almost i can almost imagine like seeing jesus the door opens she walks in it's like (laughs)
1: <laughs>
0: okay now notice he said he could almost imagine yeah see um uh adam just uh my way of uh, caution there dude um when you're preaching you're supposed to be proclaiming the oracles of god not proclaiming your imagination so uh as far as i'm concerned you lose points here in this little cage fight due to the fact that um You've inserted your imagination into your preaching. That's not your job. Your job is to actually proclaim and teach us what that word of God says and means. Apparently, it's about rethinking church. Again, I have, I have no idea how you get that out of the text, but let's see how you, how you do it. I'm sure it's creative, as creative as your imagination there.
3: One more person just, just needed a few minutes alone. But she's desperate. This is a woman whose daughter is demon-possessed, and she knows, she knows that Jesus can help. She's heard the stories of the healings, and she knows Jesus is the guy. He's the only one. And, you know, her request that she makes is not really that unreasonable. Jesus has healed, uh, has exercised demons before. It's not a new thing. He doesn't have to think about how to do this. He just, you know, he's done it before, takes care of it.
0: Uh, So it's like a recipe he's cooked before.
3: (sighs) He's healed children that weren't actually present right there. It's not like he was going to have to go and and leave and follow the woman to her home and then do the healing. It's it's a fairly reasonable request for Jesus. And so she asks. She asks the question. Yes, it is cool getting to play with my phone in church. Yes. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) Um, She doesn't know where to turn. She doesn't know where to turn, and so she goes to Jesus. And and maybe, yeah, maybe he was having a bad day. We, We don't really know. But then we get the reply from Jesus. Let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. There it is. Now, there are some who have... I was reading some commentaries about this. I want to do my homework. I mean, there are some who have tried to kind of tame it down a little bit and say, you know what, the, uh, the type of dog that Jesus was referring to was probably more like a house dog or a, like a small, a small pet. Um, maybe think about it. Imagine a, a cute little labradoodle puppy. Um, so that doesn't sound so bad if Jesus is referring to that kind of dog when he calls this woman a dog. Maybe a little puppy, a cute little puppy. But there's not actually a whole lot of evidence to to support that type of interpretation Uh, other than just a really strong desire to not make it look like Jesus, our loving and grace-filled Jesus, was just being kind of jerky.
0: Got a question for you, Adam. How many of those commentaries that you read regarding how to properly interpret this passage say that this story is about how to rethink church? Any of those commentaries said that? Any any single commentary that you can think of said that what we're really looking at here is uh, is is an important story that teaches us how to rethink church. Any I in fact I'm willing to bet one crisp brand new dollar bill that there is not a single commentary out there commentary that says that this passage is about rethinking church. You know just a, maybe I'm just being Too literal here. All right, listen. We're up on our first break, our second break. We've got to take our second break here, and when we come back, we will continue with our sermon cage fight. And uh, we're about halfway through the sermon from Adam uh, Walker Cleveland, who is an emergent guy and United Methodist uh, pastor. and uh, and his sermon on the uh, the story of the Syro Phoenician woman again. Our second contestant is uh, the Reverend Jeremy Rody of Faith Lutheran Church in Capistrano Beach, California. Uh, same t- same subject, but preached from a different Synoptic Gospel. And uh, you know, we'll leave it up to you to see what you think as to who won this particular cage fight. Um, I know it just sounds so exciting when I say it in those terms, doesn't I mean? Yeah, today we're going to have a sermon contest. That doesn't sound great. No, no, no. We're having a sermon cage fight. This is a sermon smackdown, if you would. So uh, (laughs) we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard so far or on a previous edition of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com or look me up on Facebook or follow me on Twitter. My name is Christian. We'll be right back.
4: years are scratched here, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
1: This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe.
2: Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio.
4: Orthodox Christianity clearly teaches God's law, which condemns our sinful nature, and clearly proclaims the gospel of Christ's death and resurrection on our behalf to pay for our sinfulness. These truths of Holy Scripture are timeless and objective. However, a creeping fog known as the Emergent Church threatens to unravel these clear teachings by redefining the vocabulary and core beliefs of the Christian faith in terms of subjective personal feelings and experiences. That is why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to offer The Emergent Church, Undefining Christianity, a book by Bob DeWay that is widely regarded as the best book available on the emergent heresy. The book is twelve ninety plus $4 shipping and handling, and all proceeds directly support the Christ-centered ministry of Pirate Christian Radio. Log on today to piratechristianradio.com and order your copy of The Emergent Church, Undefining Christianity. All right, we're back. Hour number two, fighting for the faith
0: straight ahead. Hopefully, I'm... Trying to get a slightly shorter version in today because it's, well, a holiday. But I felt it was important to at least get a couple of editions of Fighting for the Faith in this week because later this week I'm going to be out of town, and uh, we'll be putting some best of shows uh, for the re- for the balance of the week. All right, we're in the middle of our sermon cage fight, our sermon smackdown, if you would, between emergent uh, United Methodist uh, Pastor Adam Walker Cleveland uh, and his sermon entitled Rethink Church, and pitting uh, uh, basically going toe-to-toe with him is Pastor Jeremy Rody of Faith Lutheran Church. In Capistrano Beach, California, preaching on the same t- subject, just a slightly different text. Actually, it's a different text, but it's the differences between the two are really nominal. And uh, so, it kind of give you an idea of comparing emergent preaching to uh, Christ-centered, cross-focused preaching. And uh, we're in the middle of uh, of. Adam Walker Cleveland sermon. So, without any further ado, here's uh, the balance of his sermon entitled "Rethink Church." Listen carefully. Uh, so far, he hasn't made a case that his this text is uh, teaching anything about rethinking church. We're going to be experiencing Isa Jesus on a grand scale here in a moment. But here we go.
3: No, if it's okay to say that in church, but he just doesn't come across as the Jesus we all imagine uh, in in this story. Jesus' response that the children should be.
0: He doesn't come across as the Jesus we all imagine in this story. Uh, Adam, uh, dude, uh, listen, um, if you uh, if you are judging Jesus based upon the fact that he doesn't, uh, he's not the Jesus that you imagine, you've got a problem. Uh, our uh, our imaginations regarding Jesus need to bend the knee to the biblical, historical Jesus and the real one.
3: Just saying. All right, we continue. Fed First before the dogs is in reference to the fact that the gospel was first for the Jews But he doesn't say that she'll never get the gospel I want to give him a little bit of credit here he, he doesn't say you're never gonna get fed.
0: Oh, yeah, let's give Jesus a little bit of credit here That sounds so magnanimous of you
3: <sighs> It's just kind of more of like a like a first things first kind of deal We got to take care of these things first, but you know your time your time will come but yet she still challenges on him on that. She pushes him. She challenges that idea of mission. Even though Mark tells us that Jesus... She challenges that idea of mission? Ah, oh
0: boy. Yeah, that, that, that's something you just inserted into the text.
3: The Gentile territories, to kind of get away a little bit, to, uh, to not engage in mission. It is the woman who pushes back, who engages in a sparring match with Jesus. And she wins. Now, whether Jesus initially made his statement because he really was just trying to get rid of her and kind of shoo her away, or maybe it was kind of a, a roundabout way to teach the disciples something, we don't, we don't really know. But the fact is, the woman wins the argument. It's a very short argument. It's just Jesus makes a statement, the woman comes right back, and then Jesus backs off. He says, yeah, because you said that, your daughter's going to be healed. You win. Her reply back to Jesus points to the future when the Gentiles and when all people will be included in God's plan of salvation. And Jesus knows that she's right. And he knows that he was wrong. To be there, whether he was looking for ministry opportunities or not... Whoa,
0: whoa, whoa. Jesus was wrong? You just said Jesus was wrong. Wrong. Unbelievable. That is not what is at the heart of this text. Jesus, oh, I was wrong. Okay, I'll heal you. I'll heal your daughter. Dude, that is just terrible exegesis and awful Christology. Jesus was wrong? Uh, no, sir, you're the one who's wrong Who's for thinking that Jesus was wrong. Keep in mind, he's God in human flesh.
3: God is never wrong. Unbelievable! And to ignore this pagan woman of faith was wrong. The Syrophoenician woman challenges the assumption that the gospel was only for the Jews at the beginning. She challenges the assumption that God had favorites or that God would ignore her and her daughter's needs. The gospel was for all, no matter the person's ethnicity, gender, or social status. And so this pagan Syrophoenician woman joins the ranks of people who have challenged God and won. Abraham and God argued back and forth and back and forth over how many righteous people would it take for God to to spare Sodom. Jacob wrestled...
0: By the way, how'd that go for old Sodom and Gomorrah? How many uh, righteous people were there?
3: ...with God, physically wrestled with him.
0: And and how'd that go for old Israel? I mean, you know, he wrestled with God. uh, um, How'd that go for him?
3: Go until God blessed him. And God did bless Jacob. He changed his name to Israel. Somehow we have kind of picked up this idea that that God, God doesn't change. And if God does change, it's certainly not because of us. Yet here we have these biblical examples of God being changed... Because of humanity calling God into question. The Syrophen- What?
0: God changed because humanity called God into question? This is a fanciful interpretation at best. It's heretical at worst. Oh, man. Yeah. God going, oh, okay, you're right, you're right. Yeah, thanks for calling me on that
3: no the Phoenician woman challenges not only what Jesus says to her but the way the ways that things have been done the assumptions about who the good news was for she comes the as
0: assumption a, about who the good news is for unbelievable uh, just unbelievable
3: who has a real deep insight into the way things should be and so he admits that he was wrong she...
0: No, nowhere in the text does it say Jesus admits he was wrong. You just inserted that into the text, sir. Foul, by the way, on the cage fight. Sorry, um, that's going to be a
3: two-point deduction at least. The argument, her daughter was healed, and by challenging Jesus, she was able to point him back on track and help him rethink... <sighs>
0: she was able to help Jesus get back on track. Jesus was off track. Oh my. What Jesus do you believe in, sir? Because uh, the, the one you believe in doesn't sound anything like the biblical one at all.
3: Rethink his ministry. So as I was rethinking, think, was thinking about rethinking church this week, and as I, <clears throat> and as I read this story, in which it seems that Jesus was wrong. Uh, No,
0: it doesn't. You are incorrectly exegeting this passage. Which of the uh, commentators that you read said that Jesus was wrong?
3: I found myself thinking that if Jesus can be wrong, then certainly I can be wrong.
0: No doubt about it, you can be wrong.
3: Jesus being wrong, no way, Jose. I can be wrong about what youth ministry should look like. I can be wrong about the institutional church. I can be wrong about the ways I think God works and doesn't work in this world.
0: I mean, well, if Jesus could be wrong, then, then he could be wrong about uh, the fact that he came to die for the sins of the world. He could be wrong about the fact that he, you know, he claimed that, that salvation was found in him and that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to him except for, no one comes to the Father except for through him. I mean, if he was wrong, then, I mean, we, we might as well throw, he was probably wrong about the fact that he was God. If he was wrong, then he was wrong about the fact that he knew Abraham or... Uh-huh.
3: And I found myself thinking, if Jesus can be wrong, then certainly we, as the church and all our various denominations, could be wrong. I can, we can be wrong about who we say can and, and can't be married in our churches and who can and can't be ordained to serve God.
0: Notice, bad hermeneutic, completely false uh, teaching that is not warranted by the text. And now, all of a sudden, we're questioning about who can and can't be married in the church. If, we, if Jesus can be wrong then we could, we're probably wrong about whether or not to marry homosexuals
3: you see serve God we can be wrong about the ways in which we've tried to reach out to young adults we can be wrong about our theologies our ministries we can be wrong about how we've done church now I want to take just a minute now and this is, this is where that, that awkward request comes in um But I would love if we can just uh, take a moment to really just kind of think about that idea of what is maybe one thing that maybe the church has gotten wrong? What is one thing that maybe we need to rethink?
0: Well, for one, the United Methodist Church, they need to uh, get back to the sound scripture, that the Bible is the authority of all truth and doctrine in, in, in the Christian church, and it is authoritative, it is inerrant, it is inspired of God, and where they, are in a, they, where they run afoul of the clear teaching of God's word, they need to repent. That's, that's
3: what you need to rethink there, um, Adam as we enter into this process of, of rethinking church. I want you to t- just take a moment and, uh, and think about that question. What is one thing that we maybe have gotten wrong or one thing that we need to rethink? And uh, talk about that with your neighbor. Um, again, my phone number to text that into is, I feel like it's like an infomercial, 609-933-4000. 609-933-4000. Uh, and also, if if you don't have a, I realize not everybody has cell phones with them. If you want to jot something down on a slip of paper and hand it to me after the service, uh, that would also be really wonderful. And if you do text something in, uh, since I probably don't have your your names or your, all of your, your numbers in my phone, if you want to just leave your name at the end of the text message, you can, or you can do it anonymous. Either way. Um, but while we're while we're doing that, we're going to do that right now. But while we're doing that, we're also going to be playing a song by Cheryl Crow. Uh, the song is called "Out of Our Heads." And we'll talk about... What? You're going to play a Cheryl Crow song? Oh, man. We'll talk about that in just a minute. So take a few minutes now and, and have that conversation.
1: If you feel you want to fight me There's a chain around your mind
0: uh, This, by the way, is... Um, uh Part of the sermon, so we're playing it. Uh, if you think you want to fight me, there's a chain around your mind. Lyrics by Sheryl Crow. <laughs> If we can only get out of our heads and into our hearts, why don't you get out of your heads and get into the Bible? Or get, use your head to get into the Bible and get out of your idolatry. <sighs> Now, keep in mind, while this song is playing, they're having a conversation about, well, if Jesus was wrong about his mission, then what are we wrong about in our church? What do we need to rethink?
1: (sighs) Uh,
0: By the way, just pointing this out, the name of the sermon is Rethink Church, and yet Cheryl Crow is saying we need to get out of our heads and into our hearts. Wouldn't that be "Refeel Church? We need to refeel it. Cause if you want to get out of your head and into your heart, isn't that all just
5: feelings? Nothing more than feelings.
0: Uh, by the way, I want to remind you, Jeremiah the prophet said that uh, out of the heart, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? And Jesus said that it's out of the heart comes all kinds of vile sins and wretchedness, adulteries, and I don't... Yeah, that's what Jesus said about the heart. So, uh, by the way, I interrupted poor Cheryl Crow here. She's uh, making a craze here. She says, if we can only get out of our heads, out of our heads and into our hearts, children of Abraham, lay down your fears, swallow your tears, and look to your heart. Uh, Jesus would definitely not recommend this route again because he says it's out of the heart comes all vile wickedness and sin and adultery. And basically, if uh, you know what the heart is, it's it's basically one big, ugly cesspool of sin. So I don't really want to get into my heart. It's I in fact, I it that's kind of my problem. I get the feeling that Jeremy Roedy is going to just smack down Adam Walker, Cleveland. But of course, yeah, you know, when he preached the sermon, that was not his intention at all. I've kind of put them in the cage together. By the way, it uh, we do not recommend wagering. Um, just saying, it's it, you got to be careful that you know you don't want to encourage gambling. That that uh, Methodist could have a problem with that.
1: his own prophet Oh, every prophet, just a man I say all oh, the women stand up, say yes to themselves Teach your children the best you can
0: Yeah, but uh, Shell Crow sounds like a Christian minister here, doesn't she? <coughs> sorry, hang on, I got <coughs>
1: yeah,
0: Sorry, I got a hairball,
5: had to get rid of it
1: To the best in himself oh, yeah. Killing anymore We're the wisest one. Everybody listen Cause you can't fight this feeling
0: anymore, anymore. We'll Only get out of our heads Come on, sing along Out of our heads And into our hearts We would find all kinds of Sin and the muck Yeah, no, no, it doesn't work Uh, keep in mind, this is a vital part of this particular sermon.
1: Heads, heads,
0: and yeah, actually, you need to get out of your hearts and into God's Word. Repent and receive the forgiveness of sins from Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. Sorry, I, I'm making his sermon sound Christian.
1: <laughs> huh. That's
3: right. This is from the uh, Apostle Cheryl Crow. Um, rethinking of sermons? Um, that's, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I think, I think you might want to take that advice and get back to actually doing correct, sound, exegetical work.
3: I think you guys will just take care of that from now on. Uh, uh, yeah, and, and I'm sure there's a lot of wonderful conversations happening around. And if you did write something down, please, uh, please hand that to me on your way out today. So thank you for that. So there are a lot of things uh, that I think we can rethink as we enter into this conversation. And clearly, if our Savior, Jesus Christ, can maybe be wrong just once
0: he wasn't that is a completely false false conclusion from the text
3: that you read then certainly we can be wrong as well many times over Uh, notice how the emergent thing works faith equals doubt now
0: uncertainty we got to rethink everything and what do you end up with nothing
3: i don't know if you heard that heard any of the song or not maybe weren't able to hear it over the oh
0: we heard it, believe me, buddy, and I did some commenting along the way. Just want to let you
3: know. It's a song by Cheryl Crow. It's called um, Out of Our Heads. And I love I love the chorus. Uh, the chorus says, If we could only get out of our heads, out of our heads and into our hearts, children of Abraham, lay down your fears, swallow your tears, and look to your heart. And I think if we really are going to enter into this conversation to rethink church, if we're going to to do that, we're going to need to get out of our heads a little bit. For in our heads exist all of those rational ideas and rational voices that say, yeah, we've never done it that way before.
0: Oh, you know, the the ones that say, oh, that contradicts scripture. We need to turn off our heads. Oh, man. I think I hear the voice of the uh, serpent saying did god really say did god really say uh,
3: uh, uh, all right okay just you know just pointing it out we continue or why change things seem to be working just fine right now but well, when we get into our hearts that is hopefully the space and the place that we are listening for God's heart. And for God's-
0: what are you talking about? You, do, you don't know the scriptures there, sir. Um, and I'm being really generous to you. Let's see here. Going to do a little word search. Out of the heart. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> oh it happens to be Matthew chapter 15, which uh, Jeremy Rody will be preaching from. Uh, It's a couple verses before we read uh, our Lord and Savior. He says, are you so still so dull? Jesus asked the disciples, don't you see that when whatever enters the uh, mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body. But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. And these make a man unclean for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. And where does that come from again? Oh, yeah, Jesus said that comes from our hearts. <clears throat> yeah, so the last place I'm going to be looking to get any kind of spiritual truth is my heart. Unless, of course, I just want to deceive myself.
3: Hopes and dreams. Hopefully that is where we can look to find the power and the strength to have the ability to imagine a different church. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we're going to look into the cesspool of our hearts in order to imagine a different church. I bet that doesn't go well, at least from the point of view of truth and the real biblical gospel and the real biblical Jesus and God's
3: word and stuff. And we are going to have to lay down our fears and our ideas of what church has been. Even those those things that are, that are near and dear to us, we have to reevaluate all of those things.
0: Yeah, like the Bible. Yeah, uh-huh.
3: And be open to the spirit's nudgings.
0: Uh, open to the spirit of Satan, apparently, because you're not grounding this in the Bible at all.
3: Open to where our imagination might take us.
0: Imagination. Our imagination. Really, our imagination. Uh, yeah, that, uh, that nowhere in the Bible does it give license for our imagination to determine what should be happening in church.
3: I look to Jesus as our example. And realize there may have been ways we've thought about the church and ways we've been a part of the church that maybe they're just wrong. And we have to acknowledge that, acknowledge that and to be open to, to new ways, no matter who is challenging us, even if it happens to be one of the dogs. What if we rethink church? Amen. Amen. All right, so
0: there's contestant number one in our Sermon Cage Fight, a.k.a. Sermon SmackDown today. Boy, is that just. Wow. Um, Okay. Um, The. (laughs) Oh, oh, man. Uh, The next sermon is preached by the Reverend Jeremy Rohde of uh, Faith uh, Lutheran Church in Capistrano Beach, California. Now, it is dealing with uh, the uh, cross-reference passage to this found in Matthew chapter 15. Again, same subject matter, slightly different uh, twists, uh, but again, pretty much the same concept here, the same event. And uh, let's hear what a Christ-centered, cross-focused, uh, sound, exegetical uh, version of this uh, uh, sermon or a uh, uh, sermon on this text would sound like. Here's the Reverend Jeremy Rody of Faith Lutheran Church in Capistrano Beach, California.
5: After bantering with Pharisees ad nauseum and then realizing that his own disciples are spiritually clueless, Jesus had had just about enough. So he goes and does a very reasonable thing. He heads for the coast. Or we might put it into a nice, tame translation and say, Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon." His departure is occasioned by a nasty debate with Pharisees and a disheartening realization that, despite all of his own teaching, his disciples just didn't get it. Psalm 44 says be angry but do not sin and that's probably a pretty good description of where our Lord was at Jesus was angry with the Pharisees they judge people not by the Word of God but by their own personal opinions and criteria they are blind leaders of the blind Jesus says they believe in their hearts that they are doing the right and moral thing and That's just the problem. They don't stop to check if their holy opinions actually align with the Word of God. Kind of like the uh, imaginations of uh, Adam Walker Cleveland. And the telltale sign of a Pharisee is this. They praise God with their lips, and with the very same lips, they gripe and gossip about all those others Who are made in God's image. And thus their own lips demonstrate the hypocrisy of their so-called faith. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So it's no wonder Jesus takes off for the Gentile coast. At least there he might find some sheep who hungered for true righteousness. Not the righteousness of their own personal criteria, but the righteousness spoken of in the word of God. Not the righteousness of their own good intentions, but the righteousness that would be bought through Jesus' own sacrificial death. He comes to die for his enemies, to save you and me and everyone else from our sin. Didn't hear any of that um, from Adam Hmm,
0: like in the sermon, though, from uh, Pastor Rodi, this is good stuff. But the disciples were no better
5: than the Pharisees. Jesus asked Peter, are you also still without understanding? What comes out of a man defiles a man. You nod and listen, but you don't get it. <laughs> listen to the words that come out of your own mouth. They betray the wickedness Buried deep down in your heart... Oh, oh, wait a
0: second. Pastor Rhody, you're saying that down in our heart is wickedness and evil? Uh, Well, Adam Walker Cleveland uh, played a Sheryl Crow song that tells us to look inside of our hearts and get out of our heads. Well, it seems like Pastor Rhody has correctly identified the source of our
5: evils, and Adam Walker Cleveland has not. No one's fooling anyone. Despite your external appearance of holiness, you're just as wicked as the one that you accuse. Your own lips declare it. You can be offended and harden your heart, or you can repent and hunger for the righteousness that comes from Jesus alone. After all, that's why he did come. To offer his body and blood as a once and for all atonement for your sin. And to offer this same body and blood to you as spiritual food and spiritual drink for the forgiveness of your sins. No one got it. Not the Pharisees or even the disciples whom Jesus himself taught. And it might just be that no one gets it today. Who can blame Jesus for His holy anger? His death and payment for our sin are mocked by those who condemn others apart from the Word of God. His body and blood are despised by those who would commune without fully forgiving those others for whom He died. And this evil right now is just the blossoming of the ungodly flower that was already budding right before Jesus' eyes. So it's no wonder that he leaves Israel to go looking for the lost sheep in Gentile cities. There's only so much holy hypocrisy and spiritual stupidity that the son of David can take. The people who should get it don't get it. In the kingdom that Jesus is bringing, up is down. Death is life. The self-proclaimed righteous are wicked, and the self-proclaimed wicked are righteous for his sake. But no one gets it. So Jesus goes looking for lost sheep, and up comes a Gentile woman, a Canaanite, and big surprise, she needs something. But right away, you can see that this woman is different than the Pharisees. She's even different than the disciples. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is oppressed by a demon. Jesus answers her, not a word. She keeps on crying out, imploring, pestering. The disciples get annoyed. She's following us. She's a weirdo. A stalker. Send her away. He stonewalls her. I didn't come for you, he says. I came for the the sheep of the house of Israel. Well, So much for the politically correct Jesus. He's telling her to her face, I came for the Jews, not for you. First she gets the silent treatment. Then she gets stonewalled with an ethnic insult to boot. Just imagine how we'd respond to that. We'd be out of there so fast. Before you could say Hosanna, we'd be behind our computers typing the nastiest email we could muster. We'd withhold our offering, find a different church, let all our friends know that this Jesus guy and his church, well, they're just a bunch of jerks. Not this woman. This woman isn't like you or me. She isn't like the Pharisees, and at this stage of the game, she isn't much like the disciples either. She gets disregarded, but still she clings to Jesus. She gets denied to her face in front of others, humiliated, and still she clings to Jesus. And now she kneels before Jesus, worshiping, pleading, Lord, help me. And you know what happens next. Jesus calls her a dog. O-M-G. No, he did not. Well, when the church leaders catch wind of it, they have a secret meeting about this Jesus. He obviously doesn't have the love of Jesus in him. The district president asks for his resignation. The synod takes him off the roster. When CNN gets a, hold of the whole, uh, gets a hold of it, the whole world learns about this mean-spirited Jesus fellow. This woman deserves better. You can almost hear Oprah say, Girl, you got to stand up for yourself. But this woman prefers to be on her knees praying to Jesus and worshiping. The world chides her. You can go somewhere else to find healing for your daughter. You can find someone else who has the words of eternal life. The world overlooks one simple fact. No, she can't. Jesus is her only hope. Jesus offends the Pharisees, and Jesus offends the disciples. But His rebukes do not offend this woman. She knows it's true. I am a dog. And Jesus alone is the answer. Jesus alone can free her daughter, not just from the demon, but from sin and death and the devil himself. Jesus alone has the words, not just of life and healing, but of eternal life. A resurrection from the dead into perfect bodies. Jesus alone takes away the sin of the world. He is the merciful Son of David. And this woman is content to place all of her trust in Him despite all the contrary opinions. Now, I'm going to
0: point something out. You're sitting there going, wait a second. Where does it say that she put all of her trust in him? It's in the text. It really is there because we learn that Jesus ends up praising this woman because of her great faith. Jesus answered, Matthew 15, 28, woman, you have great faith and faith is that simple Tr- childlike trust in her Savior, Jesus Christ.
5: We continue. Despite all the contrary appearances in life, in sickness, in affliction of her beloved daughter, in pleading without answer, even in death, He is her Savior just as He is yours. This Gentile Canaanite woman understands something that the religious teachers didn't get. She comprehends something that even surpasses the knowledge of Jesus' disciples. She knows that Jesus doesn't need her. And He certainly doesn't owe her anything. It is she who needs Him. So she does not come expecting Jesus to conform himself to her. She conforms herself to him. Notice here.
0: Jeremy Rohde is literally exalting Jesus Christ. Adam Walker Cleveland, in his abomination of a sermon, said that Jesus was wrong. He tears Jesus down and then uses that as some lame excuse for we can now, well, we could be wrong too, and we should rethink church and con- reconsider how we do it. Because if Jesus can be wrong, that's not in the text at all. Jeremy Rody here is pointing out the divinity of Christ, the exclusivity of Christ, the Christ who is our great God and Savior, and pointing out the fact that this woman clung to and had faith in and was tenacious with and was this exalted God, Jesus Christ. Two completely different Jesuses that we're dealing with here. Jeremy has the biblical one. Adam Walker, Cleveland. He has the, the Jesus, the serpent, uh, proclaims. Did God really
5: say? Uh, apparently he was wrong. And in our own egotism, we forget what this humble woman understood. Jesus doesn't need anything from us. He certainly doesn't owe anything to us. Jesus didn't need this woman's approval or her vote in church council. He doesn't need her good works or offerings. He doesn't even need her faithfulness. Or service. It might just break our fragile little egos in two, but Jesus doesn't need us. He doesn't even need us to be His faithful servants, His overzealous watchdogs. He doesn't need us to run His church. As Lord, He handles that just fine Himself. Jesus doesn't need us at all. But we desperately need Him. And that's what this lowly Canaanite woman understood. Lord, I don't deserve a single word from You. I deserve silence. But speak to me in mercy anyway. Lord, I don't deserve a blessing from You. I deserve a rebuke. Help me anyway. Yes, Lord, I am a dog Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus answers her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus doesn't need the woman, but the woman needs Jesus. The very same is true for each one of us. We need our own self-righteousness and hypocrisy forgiven. So Jesus came to be wounded for our transgressions. He came and laid down His life, having His hands and feet pierced to pay the penalty for our sin. We need our foolishness and our egotism our carelessness with the things of His church, to be forgiven and washed away. So Jesus came to lay down His life as a ransom for you, so that you might be forgiven and have eternal life being washed in His blood. We hunger and we thirst, not for self-justification, not for vindication in the eyes of others, But for the righteousness that comes from Jesus alone, from His holy absolution, from His warm invitation, take, eat. And we too rejoice with the Canaanite woman as those who eat the crumbs that fall from this, His table, as those who know the joy of salvation, whose hearts overflow with it and with the wonderful freedom of the forgiveness of our sins. He feeds the hungry with good things and His blood washes the foulest clean. He's not afraid to be the God of dogs. But even so, by His blood, He has washed you And in this baptism, He has removed your sin. He has adopted and made you children of Israel, children of His household forever. Indeed, in Christ, you are dogs no more. And so, His blood washes the foulest clean. Yes, that's even you and me. And yes, that's even those sitting in the pew next to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
0: Is there any comparison here? I, 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 that was, uh, I mean, as far as the cage fight, the sermon smackdown goes, that wasn't even, we don't even need to go to the judges for a decision. That was a knockout. Jeremy Rody proclaiming and exalting Jesus Christ and him crucified, calling us all sinners and pointing out the fact that out of our hearts come all wickedness and deceit and evil and that we need to be redeemed of it and that we're all dogs. But in Christ, we are dogs no more. Forgiven, cleansed, renewed, our sins washed away. All of that in just that short 14 minute long sermon from Jeremy Rohde. And then Adam Walker, Cleveland did. I mean, that wasn't even close. It wasn't even a fair fight. Because one was proclaiming the true biblical Jesus and the true biblical gospel. The other one was using God's word to create all kinds of mischief and doubt and disbelief in who Jesus is and what he's done and what the nature of the church should be. Unbelievable. That was a great sermon by Jeremy Rohde. Well, folks, uh, we're rapidly approaching the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith, and I need to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means your financial support is vital for us to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you and be able to do this type of work, this discernment work of comparing what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God and to proclaim Christ and Him crucified for our sins. Would you consider partnering with us? In fact, more than consider, would you partner with us? You can do so a couple of ways. You can visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com, and click on one of our friendly yellow donate buttons. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Well, we are at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith, and I hope that you have a, a fine remainder of your uh, Labor Day uh, holiday. And uh, like I said, we'll be back in studio tomorrow, but uh, more than likely I will not be able to get an edition of Fighting for the Faith, a new one up for Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday, because I'm taking a short trip out of town uh, to, uh, for, to go to a conference. And uh, as a result of it, I did want to make sure that we did get a couple of new editions in this week, because it's, it's a long time to be away from the microphone. Now, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on today's edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or look me up on Facebook or follow me on Twitter. My name there is Pirate Christian. Until uh, tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for your sins. Amen.